Unsurprisingly, the Nerd and Tie podcast is a part of the Nerd and Tie podcast network. You can find podcasts ranging from actual play to true crime to witchcraft at nerdandtie.com. Also, consider joining our community on Discord by finding an invite at nerdandtie.com slash discord. Did you know you could sponsor Nerd and Tie? That's right. For just $20, we'd say your name here and how cool you look in those jeans today. Like, seriously, dude, they're kicking. Anyways, just go to nerdandtie.com and click on the sponsor information to find out more. Or contribute to our legal fund by going to gofundme.com slash nerdandtie. On this episode of Nerd and Tie, we mourn the passing of Wayne McCloud. We give our review of Netflix's Cowboy Bebop, and then we're just going to dedicate the rest of this month's episode, just the rest of it, to talking about what the hell happened to Daishokan. Yeah, that's that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Nerd and Tie. Welcome to Nerd and Tie, the only podcast on the internet with a dress code. I am one of your hosts, Trey Dorn. Joining me, as always, are the wonderful Nick Izumi. Word up! And the indomitable Gen Proc. What's up? And it, is, it, is, it has been a month, and it's been a month with news so big that we uh, just just kind of said... Screw talking about Hawkeye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine so far. There well, you go. Yeah, you're set. We'll, we'll talk about <laughs> look. So we'll talk about <laughs> Hawkeye next month. All I know is I'm I'm watching two Haley Steinfeld shows at the same time right now, and I'm not starting that League of Legends one. Okay, I'm not three Haley Steinfeld shows is too many at once. Um, because because I also watch Dickinson, um, which is really good. Um. I just think but, Haley Steinfeld needs to talk to her agent about putting her in genre movies and TV shows where she communicates with nonverbal yellow creatures because that's becoming a thing for her. Like, between Bumblebee and Hawkeye, there's a lot. There's just a lot going on where she just talks to yellow things that can't talk back. If Pizza Dog talks, I'm walking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah she's also gwen stacy in the spider-verse movies so spider-verse yeah and yeah all right uh anyways um i'm just gonna say that like you know my it makes going and watching an episode of dickinson really weird right after watching two episodes of hawkeye um <laughs> Anyways, uh, to 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 get serious for a minute and to um and to talk about uh the something that there's no good way to segue into this um but our top story is that uh, last week we were informed that uh, Wayne McLeod uh, passed away. Uh, Wayne McLeod, for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, is uh, it was a longtime vendor in the Midwestern convention scene. Um, he's, yeah, if, if you went to a sci-fi convention in like Wisconsin or Minnesota in the last several decades, you've met Wayne McLeod. Um, he was, when we, um, 
when we launched No Brand Con back in 2002, he was one of our first vendors. When we did the Nerd and Tie Expo in 2016, he he was one of our vendors. Um, he's he's just been all over the place and uh, just a, a regular fixture of the convention circuit around these parts. And so um, I don't have a lot of details about what happened, uh, but. Um, He's been dealing with health issues for a long time, yeah, yeah, so I can't say I'm shocked, but it still yeah. hurts. Yeah, it's so so we <laughs> wanted to we want to take a moment to to remember Wayne McLeod. Um, I know a lot of people around like the Nerd and Tie Network, like um, Vink and uh, Vink and Sean Orange at Famicom Dojo, both uh, have have some pretty fond memories of him. Uh, so it's 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 rough. Um, he was legitimately the first person who I ever bought Doctor Who merchandise from. And uh, in a really uh, taking it back twist, when I was in high school, he was the first person who I bought anything from at No Brand Con because he had some retro Gundam model kits and I picked them up because apparently no one else wanted them. Yeah, he was uh he was a regular vendor at No Brand Con for a really long time through like 2016 or 2017. In recent years he hadn't been there, but um and and I will tell you it was because we couldn't get a hold of him. <laughs> uh because he gave us the wrong email address. Uh but it was uh he was a regular fixture in our vendor room for a very long time. For for those of you who don't know, um, I am a co-founder of No Brand Con, and I am the current con director and president of No Brand Con. Um, that is unrelated to anything I'm doing nerd and tie, but uh, just full disclosure, because uh, we're going to be talking about con scene stuff later in this episode that's not involving this. Uh, so I'm just going to say that. So yeah, we wanted to just remember Wayne, and uh, yeah, um, our condolences to you know those who knew him in the convention circuit, and yeah, and to his family. Rest in peace, Wayne. Yeah. So I don't know how to segue out of that into the next topic. Uh, well, I don't know how we're going to carry that weight, Trey. Oh, my God. Did you? Okay, I'm going to. Just... Did you just? I... I've been watching Get Back on Disney Plus, but yeah, no, that's the real reason. Did <laughs> I did the thing. You did the thing. I did the thing. All right. So, uh, look, it's been a recurring topic on this show for months, but the Cowboy Bebop Netflix series is out. And Nick and I watched the whole thing, and Gen's watched enough of it that we're going to give our spoiler-free review of the first season of Netflix Cowboy Bebop. I think I'm about halfway through it. What episode are what you episode on? What episode are you on? I think we got past four. Okay. Three or four. Okay, it's. I was just curious because episode six is my favorite. Um, yeah, so I haven't gotten there yet. Also, my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh, 
so we're going to try to keep the spoiler free mostly to uh, not spoil things for Gen, actually. We don't really care about yeah. you guys. Uh, we may spoil... If you haven't watched the original Cowboy Bebop TV series and you're listening to this, be warned, we may spoil a series that's over 20 years old. I hope you're okay with that. I don't... I'm I'm in this weird camp, and I mean, I've, I'm willing to be... If, if you disagree with me, let me know. Bebop is one of those shows that I don't feel like can properly be spoiled. I I feel like it telegraphs its big its I, big stuff from the beginning. The but, only thing I feel yeah. like you can't the only thing I, can, I feel like you can spoil in Bebop is the final episode. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, there are certain things that Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The ending, you can spoil the ending. Um so, okay, so the Netflix Cowboy Bebop, this live-action series, is um, hot take here, guys. I like it. I like it a lot. Whoa. It's a, um, it's it, it's best described as a remix. Like, it's it's not a, like, it's, it's not retelling the exact same story. Thank God. Even if episode one is very close to remaking Asteroid Blues, sometimes shot for shot, um, <laughs> which is my least favorite episode of Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> like, let me tell you, like, I get people like, so I've, I've seen complainers on the internet, and one was like, I made it like only 30 minutes in, and it was like awful compared to the original. I'm like, did you, that's the episode that's most like the original series. I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's the one I hate. That's, I mean, I don't hate it, but it's like, it's like, in my opinion, this is my opinion, Asteroid Blues, the first episode of the original Cowboy Bebop is, it's not bad. I don't think it's bad, but I think it's one of the weakest episodes of the show. Um, And that uh, I've had to, since I've, like, whenever I've introduced people to Cowboy Bebop, I've always started them at the beginning. It is also one of the ones I've seen the most. Yeah. And so I have seen Asteroid Blues so much that it's one of the few episodes whose titles I actually remember. Like, I forget the titles. I don't forget the title of that episode. Um, I've seen this so many times. And so, like, it was when when episode one departs from being a, a remake and actually, like, gives uh, what's-her-face a motivation, a character whose name I've never bothered learning. Um <laughs> The uh yeah the, the I I the, remember the name Asimov's of Asimov's girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Asimov's girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Oh, her. Yeah. And they actually give her a motivation in this version. <laughs> and then Faye shows up <laughs> in episode one, and you're like, okay, we're not doing a. I, I breathed the sigh of relief that I was like, okay, things are going to be different. And yeah, then the, they diverge the further you go from that episode. I was super relieved because I enjoyed the first episode, but I was also like, I don't, I really hope it's not just going to be uh, a longer version of a show that I already like. And yeah. after the first episode, that is not the problem at all. They, like you said, remix, they take elements and ideas from the original but they take them in a different direction and do really interesting, fun stuff with it. I'm also, uh, you know, hot take. I also really enjoyed this show. I think, 
I think there are a lot of legitimate things to be to dislike in it, but I think most of the hate that I've seen online is not about those legitimate issues. Yeah. Like if I'm going to be a very blunt about it. Yeah, my my biggest complaint about the show um was that the amount of time spent with Vicious because I have never given two craps about Vicious and as I said I've never cared about as I said online I've never cared about Vicious and this show is not going to make me start. Um but what I will say as without any spoilers um, what I what I figured out as that story went on is that it was more about that entire storyline is way more about what's going on with Julia, and um, they did make me start to care about Julia, which I thought was impossible because she's not really a character in the original series, and the the character that they've created for this show is very different than the Julia we had in the original Bebop, but I think that's for the better. Yeah, because the, the changes made to Julia were, in my opinion, welcome, because if you would have done the same thing again, you have a sexy lamp. And in a longer than 20 minute well, episode span, you notice that it's just a sexy lamp. Well, she only shows up outside of flashback in like the final episodes of the original Bebop. In, in, mm-hmm. yeah, and and so like she shows up right at the end of the original series. And other than that, it's just flashbacks through Spike's memories. No, she's like. And she's such a, like, the um, this stereotype of this femme fatale stereotype in the original Bebop that doesn't really, like, uh, she's not a character. And the what character she is is was already a cliche when they made Bebop. And it's because, and they used it as a shorthand. And that works in the original series only because we we don't spend so much time with Spike's backstory in that series as we do in this one. But they made Julia actually a character with motivations and, and reasons to do things now. Um, mm-hmm. And so I... They took her in a weird direction I did not expect, but I like it. I'm gonna confess... Around episode three, I figured out what direction they were taking her in, and I really enjoyed it. And But honestly, I don't feel that that's... So I, even the idea of something being predictable as something dismissive, I disagree with that being... Uh, I, dis, I disagree yeah. with anyone no, who found that predictable, because frankly, I'd say that that's good foreshadowing in a story. Yeah, that's... Is that you're showing what direction you want to go in that there's forethought. Yeah. I figure they were going there and I'm happy they went there. I think it's way, it's really exciting because it's territory I haven't been in before. I don't think I necessarily saw it coming myself, but once I did, like I put the pieces together and that's the way a a thing, a story like that should be structured. Like it's, it's not that you have to like telegraph every move you're going to make, but the audience should be able, but the audience should be able to like, look at the story path and go like, Oh, I saw how that happened. Like it, you should be able to draw the line once it's connected. And some people are going to guess ahead of time and some people aren't. And that's good. That's doing your job as a writer. Um, but I love, I love, I love John Cho as, um, as Spike. Oh my God. The casting in this is just so amazing. The, the cast are all standouts. The, um, 
the exception being that while I think he worked in the last three episodes, I do think Alex Hassel was miscast as Vicious. I just think he's not a good actor. Oh, I, <laughs> like, thought, his, I thought his performance was fine. I just didn't think his face looked right for Vicious. Like, that was, I, like, my, my nitpick with his cast that got Vicious was, because Vicious, he, I think he emoted the exact right amount for Vicious, uh, but Vicious, like, I he's supposed to be prettier. Someone <laughs> described Alex Hassel's Vicious as if Geralt of Rivia got really into crypto, and I can't <laughs> unsee it now. But I feel <laughs> yes, like you yes. could, I feel like you could use that description about the original Vicious, too. Uh, probably uh, he, he carries a he carries a sword. Who carries a sword? Someone who studied the blade. Right. right. No, I mean like he's in the original Bebop. He's already a bit of a weeb. Mm-hmm. Like it's that part I thought was fine. It's just that his face isn't pretty enough. I can agree with that because they draw him pretty in the original, and he's like a little too worn. In, in my, my mind, but my favorite performance hands down is Danielle Pineda. Oh my god, um, I love her, her Faye Valentine. Her Faye is extremely funny. Um I don't I feel like not enough people are talking about how freaking expressive her face is. Um a mutual friend of ours, um uh uh Ethan, um, who's an excellent artist, has one of my favorite faces because they will emote oh yeah in the yeah. most ridiculously over the top ways and danielle pineda has a very similar range of being able to emote so much with her face and yeah. i kind of loved her dialogue delivery i just loved the character i think they did a really great job with her oh yeah no it's i i love i love i love her face she's she's amazing um it's i like I feel like she captures Faye Valentine like in her performance so well. Like the 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 like it's just you couldn't and, and I'm so glad they just decided to put her in in episode one immediately. And I like the modifications they made to uh, Faye's backstory where um because they they did make some modifications to Faye's backstory. Uh, it's pretty early on where it's you find out that like because uh, it's the same backstory from the original series where she's a, you know, a person who is in cryo sleep, who is awakened um, and has no memory of her previous life. Uh, but in this one, it wasn't a like a doctor who like also then tried to like romance her and like the, the sweetheart like con. Um, it was uh, someone who minor spoiler was posing as her mother pretending to be her mother and stole all of the like government benefits that would have gone with waking her up. Um, that's, that's stated pretty early on in dialogue. So like, I don't think that's much of a spoiler. The way that that storyline is handled is really solid though. Oh, it's like, so good. It, yeah, no, it, th- there's a lot of visual, like visual not just like gags but just like little nods and references you really do need to be pay, paying attention with the show and i yeah kind of love it for that and the director um, recreated something that made me cry again mhm good job good good job I, son of a bitch <laughs> but 
I have a um I, I do want to point something out and uh I feel like you'll have some insight on this one, Trey. I feel I early on I saw people call, saying that the show looked cheap and I I heartily disagree. I'm not even going to say it looks perfect, but I do feel like a lot of the internet has forgotten what sci-fi shows that aren't the Mandalorian look like. Like, I hate to say it that way, but, like, when you don't have a Disney budget behind you, it's not going to look as ridiculously seamless. It doesn't look cheap. That's the thing, is I'm looking and watching at the show. It's I think it's because the reason why they think it looks cheap, and before we move on to talking about the cast, I really want to mention Mustafa Shakir as Jet and his amazing performance as Jet, and it's just, I have no criticisms. The man is perfect. Mm-hmm. I love him. Anyways, uh, but I think what people are forgetting is that obviously like a key thing they're doing with this show is they're attempting to light it and use color to match the color palettes of the anime. Right? Like, Which is a world of lived-in, cheap, run-down places. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did a ton of location shooting in New Zealand, mm-hmm. like... What do you mean it looks fake? It's a real building. Like, it's, what do you mean it looks cheap? It's that's that's a physical thing. <laughs> um, th- that's a load-bearing wall. It <laughs> like it it looks bright and colorful, and people are expecting. I don't know what they're expecting, but it's they apparently weren't expecting Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> it's just my only thought. I'm like. Like, the colors in Bebop are moody, and the palette changes depending on the scene and the setting. And, like, sometimes it's bright and colorful, and sometimes it's dour and, like, low-lit. Low but, like, they're they're aiming to replicate those visuals. What are you talking about? Like, what is supposed to look cheap about what's on screen? Is, I... it, is it the animation I don't understand on it. Spike I, and Jet <laughs> like I don't understand it it's just one of those things that I saw several people saying and I didn't understand I think it's just a case of they want to hate it so they want to find something wrong with it yeah that the that they can just point and be like well that's not perfect so I don't like it well, which I is I, I, uh, absolutely stupid but I can't figure out what some of these people would have wanted yeah it's because if it was a shot for shot perfect remake they would complain about it being just a worse version of the original or just doing the same thing over mm-hmm. again and because they've made changes they complain about it being too different and like I've seen people complain like uh, certain online reviewers who like to hate on things that uh, might be vaguely progressive, like complain about like Faye Valentine, like act like the can't believe they wrote Faye like that. I'm like, what are you talking about? Have you not watched the show? This is based off of this is 100% what her character is like. Do you not remember her introduction or like, like what do you, what, 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 what do you, remember Faye being like it's it, it's it's that it's the um I, um another 
a friend of the show, uh, Scott from the Meat Grinder, pointed this one out to me. He was he was saying it's hard for for him to take a lot of these criticisms seriously because he sees some people saying it's trying too hard to be the anime and other people saying it's not respectful enough to the anime, which leads him to believe there's no actual foundation to these criticisms mm-hmm. because they, those make no sense. Those are diametric. They can't be both. <laughs> so yeah, it, it like literally impossible. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that they in, in part recreate part of episode five of the original series in an episode of this new series, just because they put a shot of it in the opening title sequence, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the, the, the vicious and spike in the church is it's in the title. It's in, oh, it's in yeah. the opening titles. Um, yeah. I saw someone complain that uh, the show, because they play rain, you know, the, the song from episode five, you know? Yeah. And they play that song in that episode. And I saw someone say... It's a new recording of that song, is it? but it's it is the that same, song. It's the same vocalist. as one Because there are two recordings of that song for the original series. There's one that they did separately for the soundtrack, and then there's the version in the episode. And I know it's the same vocalist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I didn't... You know, it is my brain didn't think about whether or not it was a new recording, just because, like, it was... The voice came on, and I was like, yeah, it's the guy. Um it's the person who sings rain. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But um, like they said, that episode didn't earn rain. I'm like, what do you mean? Didn't earn rain. The original episode is like the first time, like there's a big vicious thing and you, you, you're building. That's the first time that it would have any impact. It, it episode, It's episode five. Like, it's not like we're, it's not, it's, it's not the final confrontation between these characters in the series. It's the It's the first. first time you see them on screen together. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you mean it hasn't earned rain? Like, it's... Rain also, lyrically, is just a tone song. Like, it... Like it, it, yeah. it does reflect on the emotional states of the characters in some way. And I think, actually, in many ways, it's more apropos where it's used in the new series than where how it's used in the original what do you mean they didn't earn rain they didn't earn anything the first time they did it what do you just because the context isn't exactly the same doesn't mean like like oh oh the context of of the scene is is slightly different and so it didn't no it's like when when the opening notes to ask dna play in the teddy bomber episode right i didn't Mm go well this didn't earn ask dna Right, because like that's not even from the original. Series. Yeah, that's that's the opening it's from the movie. It's the opening it's song like... to the movie. What you gonna do, little I, buckaroo? I, I'm just going to say this: like the soundtrack was still done by Yoko Kano. Yeah, I personally do not feel that I am qualified to say what scene needs what music over Yoko Kano. Yeah, me too. I don't. <laughs> I don't feel that I'm more qualified than she is in that regard. Maybe I... Eh. I had this, like, weird thing happening watching the show where I was like, I know what episode... That's not the episode this song is from. But that's fine. Yeah. Because that diverged pretty quickly. Because, like... I think it was when we got the opening notes to Ask DNA. I'm like, they don't care. <laughs> Yoko Kano does not care. <laughs> and if Yoko Kano does not care... 
I do not care either. It's just good. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it's it's kind of. Um, she's more. In I mean, there's a lot of man. there's a lot of aspects where they do chuck in just a buttload of references um, to the original. Like, I mean, I guess spoiler for first episode the casino being like calling the casino Watanabe. Yeah. Nice nod. I really like, like that. <laughs> I caught that right away and that was very good. Like they it's chock full of just like random references just everywhere. I think Trey your use of the term remix is absolutely apropos for this. Right. Cuz they just they literally just took original bebop and were like Eh, let's switch it up. Let's put this song over here and that thing over there and smush, mush, 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 mush. Yeah. And hey, we got a new version of it. Oh, hey, we're skipping the second verse and hitting another chorus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I've got a. So I liked there are even references to references the original series made. This is one I, for the record, I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't just edited a video about Faye Valentine, like, the days before this the show came out. But um, in the, the original anime, in Faye's Cryopod, it has printed across the top of it NCC-1701B, which is, of course, the uh, identification numbers for the Excelsior class Enterprise. I have a micro machine of that somewhere in my office. I don't know where though. I and so I was like, ha, I recognize that. But then in the uh, in the current TV series, both a safe box and a file Faye has about her past has NCC seventeen oh one B printed on it. And I was like, <laughs> that is a deep cut even I would have missed. If I hadn't just edited a video on this, yeah, it's so so. Yeah, like my my opinion of the show is it's not it's not. And let's be clear, the show is not above criticism. Like it's there are no. times where I get a little tired of vicious, like the vicious storyline. Um, in the end, I think it works out uh, well, but I just get bored with it. Uh, but like so, like I'm not saying the show is beyond criticism. Um, but I am saying overall, it's good. It's a pretty solid sci-fi show. Here's my issue. Um, is that most of the criticism I had been hearing about the show was being made by people who had never watched it yet. Of course. And I'm just like, excuse. Oh, yeah, no. It's like the one person I, Like, who... I understand you want to, like, criticize things, but, like, at least sit down and watch, like, an episode. At least, like, look at it first. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then please criticize it all you want. It's like that's the thing. It's like I saw someone complaining about like who's setting it like that again. They quit like thirty minutes and they're saying about how like oh it's terrible and I'll never. I'm like you didn't watch any of the show. Not I. I know the person you're talking about. I don't want to call them out too much, but like yeah. the the way that they posted about it, even going in, was with this tone of I'm going to hate this. Yeah. Or yeah, I, I don't. I'm going to start that. it. Wish me luck. Ugh. Like, wow. Yeah. Whoops. And like, I know people who just like from the beginning of even hearing that there's what there was a live action thing being made of it. were just totally against it. 
yeah. completely and like hate it. Absolutely will not touch it. And it's just like, what is your deal, man? It's okay. So is it the original? No. But guess what? We still have the original. Yeah, you got, got twenty six episodes in a movie of the original to go watch whenever you want. Yeah. There's a full complete story right there. You can go yeah. watch that. It's literally on every streaming service. Like I, I I'm not even like I'm I know I'm kind of overstating, but it's on Netflix, it's on Tubi, it's on Hulu, it, it's everywhere. There's no way you can't see it. It's yeah, like I it borders on impossible. And the Blu-rays aren't expensive either. Mm-hmm. Can I I, I want to say since it seems like we're kind of wrapping up, there's one other thing that I thought was really lovely. Um, well, okay, two other things I thought was really lovely. Um, the original Cowboy Bebop really likes making references to classic and kind of cheesy movies that Shinichiro Watanabe liked. I mean, like Shaft literally shows up in an Ed focused episode. Yeah. Like the guy's name is literally Shaft. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, um, Kareem <laughs> Abdul Jabbar. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, there's all these little references. One of my favorite just little things early on, I think it's in episode three or four, um, when they have this, uh, they're dealing with the um, eco-fascists um, who are based on the um, on the uh, friends of the, uh, of the space. The, yeah. The, yeah, led they're, by they're the eco-fascists. From the original series. <laughs> From the original series, yeah. yeah. And Mom, the leader of the eco-fascists, is played by Adrian Barbeau. And, uh, minor spoiler, because it's within the first five minutes of the episode, her secret weapon turns people into trees. Yeah, it's And I just thought horrific. that was... It's, oh, it's absolutely horrific. It's really good body horror. But also, as a film buff, it was hilarious to me, because you know what classic... Uh, B-movie Adrian Barbeau starred in Swamp Thing. Yep. The 1982 movie. So it was like, oh, hey, you got Adrian Barbeau and she's Swamp Thinging people. <laughs> I can't think of anything much more Cowboy Bebop than literally that. I'm sorry. I yeah. I really liked this show. And I thought that that was a personal favorite episode like, of even, even with all the changes and all the remixing that was done, they really kept the heart and soul of Bebop alive. Completely agreed. Yeah. And and that's something where, like, you know, I, I think that is either the most important or one of the most important things of any adaptation. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. If, if it was the same thing, there wouldn't be a point. Yeah, I'm it, glad we have it. Like, if it was the same thing all over again, I might not have watched it all. Because I just rewatched the original series within the last year. All right. So, um, with that, that kind of wraps our Cowboy Bebop uh, review. Imperfect, but still really good. And Super uh, worth your time. It's worth your time. Um, if you've never watched the original Cowboy Bebop, you should still be able to watch this fine and enjoy it. If you have watched the original Cowboy Bebop, um, it's different enough where you won't feel like you're watching the same show after the first episode. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, and then there's that uh, Jet episode, which is very much the same episode later, but uh, with Jet's backstory. Um, Absolutely watch it, though. Yeah. Like, watch it's, both. Yeah. Seriously, it, it's watch good. both. Yeah, watch both. But <laughs> I'm saying that, like, for the people who you, you don't have to go watch 26 episodes of the original show to watch the 10 episodes of the new show. Mm. Um. Anyways, moving on to the next topic, even though it's, I'm I'm glad we only put three topics on the menu because we're 36 minutes into this episode. Fair uh, Con, um, a convention that uh, originally started in Stevens Point and eventually moved to the Wisconsin Dells, uh, and was one of the more uh, one of the larger, more established conventions here in Wisconsin, has announced uh, announced on uh, November 25th that they were officially shutting their doors forever permanently permanently uh full disclosure again i am the convention director for no brand con which is also held in the wisconsin dells and uh nick is a original co-founder and former board member of dice con mm-hmm. uh, who, who it was my baby yeah um so yeah so it's very clear. I want to be very clear. Nick has not been a member of the board for quite some time, um, for for many years. Uh, I have not been involved with any of the internal workings of DaishoCon in more than four years. Okay. It's it's been quite some time since the last time that, I had anything to say. It was that recent. Um, it was my last couple of years on the when I was involved were pretty not great which i guess we we can get into right now yeah <laughs> um so yeah daishokan um Khan, uh obviously uh canceled their 2020 dates and uh never announced did they i i know they canceled 2021 i don't remember if they announced actual dates for 2021 or if they just canceled altogether yeah i don't remember if they canceled if they announced a date for 2021 i know they canceled it and a lot of people were quite upset and shocked cuz yeah, it was like the week after Kitsune canceled or announced their cancellation, and Daishokan was so much further into the year that people were really surprised by that. I mm-hmm. w- I wasn't surprised by that, just because like um, sometimes the pre-registration cycles like so we're we're running Nobran Con in 2022, but when we canceled our 2021 dates in April of 2021, we were originally supposed to well the originally the third set of dates for Nobran Con 2019 were on our fourth. Now, uh, like when we made that cancellation, we canceled that in like November of the previous year because uh, we wanted to um, because we always do like a pre-registration push um, in November and we wanted to cancel before that. Like, before, right. like we wanted to make that decision then um, because, you know, if you when when you cancel an event, um, so with No Brand Con, we rolled pre-registration forward to the next dates, but we allow people to request refunds. Like, anyone can re- request a refund. And so we didn't want to, like, drive more pre-registrations that we were just going to have to click the button and give the money back. Um, because that that's, um, you know, you're getting people's hopes up and that's shitty. So I, I didn't have any criticisms with, like, when they actually, I thought them canceling was the responsible thing to do, but I didn't realize it might have been the financially necessary thing to do at the time. You know what I mean? The I, I, 
the whole idea. So the interesting thing, if you ask me about the the Daisha closing, is that no no actual reason is given yeah. for the cancellation. No. Like it's it says that we've we've exhausted options, but we they don't say what that means or what options, what it's in mm-hmm. reference to. They're very vague. Yeah, they 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 talk about like uh, the after two years having to pause because of the pandemic, they're obviously won't be reopening. Um, it's not the outcome anyone wanted, and they've exhausted all potential options without actually saying. Yeah, they didn't say a single thing about what those options are. And the only thing I can imagine there there are the only thing there are two reasons why I could see a convention canceling. One, mm-hmm. uh, financial instability of not having the money to run the event. And we can talk about why uh, there's some reasons to criticize the, the board in, in that respect. But, and the other reason why is that they uh, were unable to find staff. And I will tell you that like, I can definitely relate to the struggles with staffing um, with no brand con. Like we've been planning technically the same no brand con for several years now, as we, you know, mm-hmm. originally no brand con 2020, uh, got moved to later 2020, and then got moved to 2021, and now it's in 2022, and we're actually going to have it now. But I, I was not the original convention director for No Brand Con for this event. For I, I had previously been a convention director and was a co-founder of No Brand Con, but I was the advertising head, <laughs> right? And, and now I'm in charge uh, because uh, I was a qual. And honestly, I'll tell you, if I hadn't been with the organization, still we might not be moving forward not because we couldn't find enough people to staff the event but because we needed like um we we brought back in some people who had retired from staff to come back for our 2022 dates because um Mm. we lost a number of staff for like uh life reasons we've had some staff members move out of state we've had um like uh the the former con director who i replaced as con director uh he's getting you know planning his wedding um so Mm. like there's like a ton of like we just and but like so we brought in an old uh adam who was treasurer for us years ago is is back now as our treasurer um like we Mm. we brought back some people we've like and so we have but like if i hadn't been here like willing to step in and be the convention director we might have had a much harder time like if someone else who if we didn't mm-hmm. if we didn't already have an experienced person who had you know run multiple events before <laughs> including this one um we we might not be so staff not being able to find the staff to uh run your event is the other thing which again um says some stuff yeah, so I guess this is I might as well kind of get into some of the I guess nastiness. So So this is something um, I just I just want to preface this guys. Normally there is, are times on the show where we don't get all gossipy about the internal workings of conventions mostly because usually uh when they're in Wisconsin because usually we know the people and there's some fear of like burning a bridge or like alienating people. But in this case, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be full disclosure. Uh, I'm I'm at least gonna be fucking catty as hell, and uh, just straight out be completely frank and honest and not filter for PR. Because guess what? Dice There's not really pl- any bridges to burn. The bridge, the bridge is already underwater. <laughs> you kind of burn it. 
Um, Sorry. I want to, I guess I, I want to kind of take a uh, point on this and there's, there's another project that I'll probably be taking more point on. Um, so again, Daishokan was something that I co-founded with uh, two people, Zach Allen and Zach Neal in a dorm room back in uh, 2007. We were really a little bit more into 2008, but we had gone to an event that we didn't really enjoy and we decided to found a con um, and it was a whole lot of fun. Daishokan was of course not perfect early on what is, but um, the first year did way better than what we expected and the event continued to grow. Well, you know, that band you brought in was amazing. Like that little singer <laughs> of that band was just phenomenal. Like they, why weren't they ever brought back? <laughs> the yes trey i i do recall your band in fact uh performing <laughs> at our first year uh, um, minus the drummer who was at a funeral it was a mess um so i i'm i want to put this up first before i get into anything else every con has internal drama daisho was no different we had issues we had some pretty we had some pretty heated arguments. Um, the Zachs, both Zach Allen and Neil, will confirm that both of them and myself had some pretty heated discussions. The thing was, though, we could argue with each other. And even when we thoroughly disagreed with the other's take, we worked it out. Because we did things in the name of what was good for the con. Somewhere around the time, but as the con continued to grow, and somewhere around that time, the two Zacks, the people who founded it with me, they moved away. They took a more long-distance approach. Uh, myself and another uh, um, friend of theirs and... Uh, Pretty decent friend of mine, uh, Andrew, and uh, Andrew and I were very much the people on the ground who were still going to meetings week to week. Um, and as new people started coming in, it you could start to feel a more heated divide, and not like in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Um. And that was, uh, I guess, when we have to really call out uh, the real the person whose name continues to come up um, is Missy Haverly. And there's a reason for that. Missy Brightside, whatever she goes by. Um, I don't know if Missy has completely scrubbed herself from the Internet. Uh, I know she unfriended me and blocked me years ago, so I can't confirm it and I have no way of reaching out to her. I don't know um, if I've ever it, met her. Missy was, uh, one year she was our guest head. Um, she, um, due to her negligence, um, we actually almost lost a pretty big guest from Canada because no one bothered to get like a work visa for him to come to the United States. We were scrambling on that Friday of the con. It was bad. Um, wow. People, uh, 
uh, she uh, she wasn't using the work email. We could trace that she wasn't getting things done. She was disciplined. But not long afterward, her then and still to this day live-in boyfriend, DJ, became a co-chair of Daishokan. And under his leadership, he decide, he made a decision that we weren't going to hold Missy's previous mistakes against her. And that it wasn't fair to bring those up when talking about her future positions within the con. What? Yeah. Um, there were other issues. Missy was an incredibly, even back then, she is, the last I talked to her, she is a incredibly insecure person and an incredibly immature person for starting somewhere around uh, that time. I basically guaranteed I would get some weird, extremely angry, hate-filled letter from Missy, uh, usually about a week before the con via Facebook about what a blaming me for this, that, or the other thing. It was very bizarre. And these things were all things that were brought up when uh, DJ, the aforementioned boyfriend, uh, campaigned for Missy to be a con chair one year. Okay. We were basically everyone who founded the event, the basically the entire board was against the decision. Uh, I brought in various bi various bizarre hate-filled letters that I had received from Missy. Um, uh, another one of our um, web developers whose name I'm not going to mention because I um, I he's gotten into some stuff recently and I really don't want to blow his cover with whatever the hell it is he's doing these days. Um, uh, but we'll we'll call him DC. Um, DC was um, had documentation including all the things that she failed when she was a guest head. Um, and we were told up and down by, uh, by her live-in boyfriend that Missy felt bad for all the mistakes she made in the past and she wanted to prove she was up for it. She could really turn things around. Uh, there was, a there was a lot of interest in her taking a leadership position from people who were on the, who were staffing at, at the con as well. And I was not sold on the idea, but eventually the board relented because there seemed to be a big enough push from the staff themselves. This was probably the biggest mistake we ever made. God, this feels like a confessional. <laughs> um, yeah. So not long afterward, Missy... Um, in her first meeting with the board, basically revealed that sh that everything her boyfriend told us was absolute malarkey. She straight up said to us, and I still have the recordings of this on my old laptop, that she had no respect for any of us. And she didn't think that we should be involved anymore because we had been with the con for too long. 
Um, and from there on in, things between Missy and the board of directors, which included myself at that point, were nothing short of hostile. Um, one, uh, as the year went on, things got weirder. Um, the, um, several legacy artists, including again, full disclosure, my spouse, Raina Innocenti were, uh, <clears throat> were, uh, uh, told they would not be accepted into the artist alley. And a couple of them just wanted some follow-up information. Cause like the responses that they got were rather rude. Um, or at least read as rather rude. And um, myself and DC decided to look into it. And Missy very publicly, not, well, I guess not very publicly, but openly in the staff-only chat groups would harass us all day, um, complaining why we hadn't presented our evidence yet for the issues while... Um, please keep in mind, most of the staff were at UW-Stevens Point at the time. Mm -hmm. Myself and DC were full-time workers. Um, myself in the Midwest, DC way over on the West Coast. So we weren't even in the same time zone trying to coordinate this. But it was encouraged to harass us about these issues. Um, eventually, a bunch of the artists got a second letter from another uh, character who was very much involved named Ethan. Uh, Ethan couldn't be bothered to spell check or grammar check. So what he sent the artist was Let's be clear that Ethan was a different person than the Ethan we talked about in a very, not the Ethan episode. we cared about. We talked about earlier who we yeah. adore. No, well, this different. This Ethan also not to be confused with my nephew, nephew, Ethan, who is nine. <laughs> there are too um, many Ethan's stop it. This Ethan sometimes known as Aussie. We'll call him that. We'll call him Aussie. Um, uh, this Ethan, also known as Aussie, uh, just sent out these letters that were literally unreadable. I'm not I'm not using that as hyperbole. I mean, there were strings of letters that were not words that were in not sentences. And these were sent out as seemingly professional letters to um, the uh to the artists who were not um, welcomed back to the con. Um, I would later find out from, uh, from Trey. Um, I mean, you can corroborate this if you like Trey. Mm -hmm. um, like after some of the hu uh, hubbub with that, um, Ethan, or excuse me, Aussie basically um, while at a different event, decided to go walk up to our very own Trey and brag that, they really just did it because they wanted to. Uh, they just wanted to single out my spouse. They just really. They were... so so he so Aussie um like came to my table. I was I was an artist alley at I was in the artist alley at GeekCon, and mm -hmm. like just actually more just like I had no idea that Raina had been rejected from the artist alley at DiceoCon at this point, right? Like I had very little knowledge of the actual stuff going on and mm -hmm. just decided to try to explain to me why he was in the right to do it. It was this really awkward situation where he like, cause I was still, um, I was still involved with no brand con at the time. Like I, I took a chunk of years off of no brand con 
but I'm, I'm mm-hmm. I've, even when I wasn't with Nova Rancana, I was a co-founder. I was oh, I've always been heavily associated with the con, even when the uh, at that time Nova Rancana management didn't want me to be, uh, or me want to be. Like it's just an awkward thing when like people associate you with a project that you're not in charge of, which is now all confusing because I'm in charge of it again. But anyways, <laughs> um, like an unprompted started to like like start telling me these like just explain like trying to justify his actions that i didn't even realize he had taken and um how nick was blowing it out of proportion and like i like i nick hasn't mentioned this (laughs) i'm like what are you talking about also i will mention that uh it was not long after that that i stopped being allowed into the artist alley at daishokan um Aussie was an interesting figure in his own right because uh, he was actually a con chair before uh, Missy. And uh, I st- we started having, he started having issues with me um, partly because Aussie's method of morality was if the rules say so, then it can't be wrong. So he would sometimes change the rules so that it would be okay. On one occasion, even um, going back and editing a piece of the website to make an argument to say that this has always been a policy, when if you looked at the editing history, he made that change. Or archive.org. Yeah, yeah, using someone else's login. It was not a... Yeah, all you needed to do was Wayback Machine it, and it was... Yeah, yeah. Like the this kind of so we were already entering some ethically questionable grounds. I was so frustrated by things. I actually told someone who was involved um that I was considering quitting just cuz Daishokan was becoming more and more stressful. Um and someone someone who was still involved DC actually told me that um I needed to stick around because Daishokan needed a conscience. Oof, that's pressure. That! (laughs) Right? But, like, in light of everything recently, that actually hits me harder than it did back then. Just how, like, one person should never be the conscience of an entire organization. No. That's insane. That's not tenable. Um, long story short, things kept getting weirder with uh, Missy. And actually, my wanting to look into how the artists were treated was brought up. This was handled, um, for the most part, behind the scenes. But then it was brought up publicly by, some, by another party who was dating uh, Missy's co-chair who felt the need to publicly say that I was on, I was just not uh, capable of being impartial and I was a, a, a liability to the organization. Um, somewhere around not long afterward, um, that same person during a summer meeting that I could not attend um, posted an angry letter like an angry open letter talking about why the board of directors for Daishokan, the founders 
um, should not be involved with the con anymore. The webmaster and the board thought it was inappropriate and asked for it to be taken down. The person who posted it claimed we were violating his free speech. Um, when uh, we tried talking to the con chairs, uh, including Missy, Missy said that uh, Missy was adamant that it should not be taken down and that if we wouldn't cooperate, she would start her own staff group. So after a rushed meeting, DC, the Zacks and myself agreed to lock to remove the uh, administrator status from the two con chairs. It was ugly. Um, uh, unfortunately for us at this point, I was no longer living in Stevens point either. Um, Zach, uh, neither of the Zachs were, um, it was very easy for basically the people who were there who wanted to get rid of us to say everything they could about us and we'd have no rebuff. Um, we, we eventually had an emergency meeting during the summer. I uh, was able to sit in on it via Skype. Uh, the two Zachs and Andrew showed up for it um, in person. Uh, and I believe I still have the recordings of this one too. Um, we did read the, uh, we read the, um, the dialogue that led to the, to the staff forum uh, having the chairs at the time locked out. Uh, we actually got to a point where um, Aussie used an ableist slur against the board and the room full of uh, con staff laughed. And that's when we basically knew it was over. So that's pretty um, terrible. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, no. Um, so, meanwhile... I, that's yeah, sorry. I didn't mean not that. a big fan of that. Sorry, please go ahead. I was going to say, meanwhile, like outside of the con, we don't like those of us who are working other cons who've been working with with Daisho Con for years have no idea this is happening. Like you have to understand, like from the perspective of, uh, like, I I work no brand con, no brand cons like, like relationship to Daisho Con early on was really really cooperative and positive. Right, like no brand con mm -hmm. we have a mission to like help other cons, especially if they're nonprofit, you know, or student run, those two things. And like we'll like lend equipment, we will you know try to lend staff, you know, like all this stuff. Um, and even when like there was a scheduling conflict between Daisho Con and uh, uh, Geek Con, which no longer exists either. We uh. We, we, you moderated we, we it. We moderated it. We we acted as a, a, a negotiation point between the two events because of our close ties to both. Like so, to, to, so you have to understand this. The perspective is that we've had this really close working relationship, and then just one day we didn't. One day they stopped answering our calls. They stopped answering our calls. They stopped responding to it. Suddenly we couldn't get an ambassador table anymore, mm -hmm. and um, like. 
there was like one year where either Missy or DJ were not con directors, and suddenly we were let back in. And then those people who had been con like con chairs for that one year were ousted immediately afterwards because of an unrelated situation. Which though, uh, the the more I know about the details of that, maybe they were rightfully removed. But either way, um, once they were removed, suddenly we were back out. Um, and so, uh, like, all we knew was that here were the, here's this con that used to work with us. And, I mean, clearly we, we knew that the people in charge weren't in charge anymore, right? Like, um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm friends with, with Zach Neal. I'm friends with Nick. Like, and, and I know Zach Allen. Like, I, 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 we're Facebook fr- I'm Facebook friends with Zach Allen. Zach Allen and I haven't really hung out. Uh, but like we we all know each other, um, and so I we I knew stuff had happened, but it was still like a like all of this weirdness with, and also all their contracts got really complicated and weird and poorly written all of a sudden. Um, Aussie had this weird hard on for um legalese even when he had like, no idea what that legalese meant. Like we, like, so there was a lot of that. Like, I'll admit that back in the day, we did a lot of things on handshakes we should have had contracts for, and we do everything on contract now, but the contracts that were written included, like, non-disclosure agreements about the contents of the contract, except you could technically still disclose that prior to signing the contract, so it was meaningless and nothing, because what happened was is that people who didn't want to sign the contract started leaking them. Um, because <laughs> they're like, well, I'm not going to sign this. Hey, everyone, look at this stupid thing they tried to get me to sign. Um, so nobody violated. The, 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 it's just uh, you, you have you have people sign the NDA before you show them the thing that they need to sign the NDA for, guys. Right? <laughs> that's, that's, it was <laughs> stupid. Um, it was seven years ago, Trey. It was seven years ago that I left the. Yeah, no, I was like four years ago. That's not right. Okay, I I was like more than time is soup right now. Give me a break. Um, Nerd Thai Expo was more than four years ago. Jesus Christ! Don't. Okay, but yeah, so we're going. 2014 was when a lot of this was going on. All right, Aussie and Missy actually had a pretty. Aussie especially had this policy of any con that wasn't Daisho, like they would do nothing for. Yeah. It was a very fuck you got mine attitude. It was um, and, and like though one of the worst points of this, uh, this is, a, this is before that ugly meeting with the, uh, with the um, uh, ableist slur, but I need to bring this one up too, because it's worth, it's worth talking about. Um, speaking of competition for dates, there was an event uh, called awesome con. It's a chain of big for-profit cons. They were going to run an event the same weekend as DaishoCon um, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You should not read the article I wrote about it. It's badly written, and I was it's... mad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's worth noting that you did write that article. Yeah, um, yeah I did. We, Nerd and Tie, this website... Um, our news page, which was more of a thing at the time, made a big deal about it. And every con in the area rallied like um, no brand was no brand was ready to fight awesome con geek con was ready to fight awesome con. Um, 
I didn't talk to any anyone from Anime Milwaukee, but I didn't see them say anything particularly nice either. It was just like people were getting ready. It's like yeah. we gotta we're not going to put up with this big for profit con coming in to elbow out uh one of our nonprofits. And Daisho didn't do any outreach. They didn't accept they didn't like try to form a coalition with these other events. They maintained that bizarre radio silence. And then, like to add insult to injury. To add insult to injury, when some weirdo, and I'm pretty sure we found out who it was, but when some asshole decided to buy, like, awesomecon.net and, like, crap on AwesomeCon's reputation. They, they actually bought it and redirected it to our article. Yeah. Yeah. They bought it and redirected it to our article. Without our consent or permission. Without our consent. I found out who did it. And yelled at them. The first thing that happened was the and like the only outreach that I know of that Daisho did was people accusing me of doing it and then accusing Trey of doing it. Yeah, I I know the exact responsible party. Um, I honestly don't know what name she's going by right now because uh, she changed her name about like five times. Um. So I, what she did was an asshole move. It was and an I asshole know who move it is and, too, but yeah. I'm choosing not to out them. I literally can't because I don't know what name she's using right now. Um, <laughs> I know it of was, like five, and I can't remember which one the current one was. Uh, but but frustratingly, yeah. yeah, we if any, so we did not buy that space. We just wrote an article talking about the facts of the matter. It got people riled up and ended up closing AwesomeCon before it could happen. Okay, so actually, let's be clear. What closed AwesomeCon before it could happen was AwesomeCon Indianapolis flopping really hard. Yeah. And then yeah. um, <laughs> It was not the article. Yeah, it and was not the article. It was that. It was not the... Plus, Fantasticon had a weird contract that they negotiated. Fantastic on another failed convention that happened right about then, which we also, which wrote a, I wrote a good article about Fantastic on. Um, <laughs> uh, like, uh, cause I've talked to Ben Penrod who was in charge of awesome con at the time. I don't know if he's still with the company because they sold to um, left field media. Uh, okay. But uh, since then, but he's, he was the, um, he was the head of awesome con at the time. And, and I've, I've had conversations with him, which were very productive since then. Um, they had uh, the Fantastic Con had negotiated a weird contract, which would have prevented Awesome Con from coming back from a second year, like locking up the space. And so, like, um, those two things meant like the complete and utter failure of Awesome Con Indianapolis, which I have a I, I know people who were at and was just like a ghost town. Um, yeah, I didn't mean to imply that right, that, right. that put, we had any I mean, part. In I it, did yeah. predict exactly how it would go. And I said, "This what they are pitching us will never work." And then it didn't work. Um, I so I got to be right, but I was not responsible for it. I just was prescient. Um, yeah, it's and and to and to Ben Penrod's credit, is I wrote that's really mean. It wasn't. It was. It was all truthful and opinion, but it was really. I I I wrote an article sounding like a complete and total dick. Um, because <laughs> it was very early in our writing articles, and I was used to writing stuff on my personal blog, uh, which had a slightly less journalistic tone. Um, the uh, the yeah, uh, Ben Penrod, to his credit, 
was an adult about the whole thing. Yeah, it's, but so, but like no one, there was no outreach. There was no attempt to rally, but after awesome con shut down, um, Missy and her infinite wisdom went to awesome cons page to tell people if they want to go to a real awesome con, they should go to DaishoCon. And thereafter, the DaishoCon staff patted themselves on the back because they single-handedly defeated AwesomeCon. They did nothing. Completely. Exactly. They <laughs> I did, did more. And I, unaware. I, did, I did more, and I think I did nothing. <sighs> yeah, no, it, but it was, it was a thing. It was this, this massive attitude. Everyone just had the biggest dongs about everything. It was just so frustrating. So this is all, everything we've talked about so far is just context. Yeah. This is just context. This That's is the just worst context. Part. So you have to understand. We're not um, even done with it. So, so you have to understand, listeners, this is like 2014 was like the awesome con stuff. 2014 was also the year, yeah, that I, that I yeah. left. Um, so this is like, this is all ancient history. And. You know what? It doesn't mean that the people who were running DaishoCon were a bunch of dicks. Yes. Yes, it does mean that. However, that does not mean it is necessarily going to be a bad convention they were running or an unsuccessful mm-hmm. one. There are mm-hmm. The much, event was extremely successful. There are, <laughs> there are way worse people out there than these people running successful events in the convention industry. So, like... Yeah, that's that's why, and if you want to know why we didn't, like, spill this tea about them, it's because, frankly... They they were all a bunch of dicks, but they were still in you know at the, running an event. They weren't that, a threat to anyone else. They, they weren't a threat hurt. to anyone else, and they weren't to a threat to their own attendees. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing is they and they were running a nonprofit event. Um, they were shitty to me. They were shitty. Yeah, that, they were shitty to my friend. They were shitty to my con. But right, they weren't a danger to anyone. Right, like yeah. being an asshole is not a crime. It's just annoying as fuck. Um. Anyways, uh, so DaishoCon grew and grew and grew and got, you know, maintained a, a level of success. That... Yeah, I'm sorry I took so long giving context. <laughs> I was, I should say that at that point, the original board of directors did leave in 2014. The The official story is that we left of our own volition, and I just want that on the record. I absolutely did not leave on my own volition. Um, I was dealing with emotional and verbal abuse from the powers that be at the time, and I couldn't deal with it anymore. And like Trey just said, I didn't feel the need to spill the tea because the event itself meant a lot to people. Well, and honestly, yeah. It was still a good con. Like the con was, the people running it were god awful, but the event was still meaningful for people. Right. And, you know, it's like I was there uh, some of the years that after that happened. um, And, like, it was, I have, like, criticisms as I do of literally any convention that I walk into. (laughs) But, like, they're inconsistent about whether or not this hallway is badged or not badged, depending on what time of day it is. And, therefore, a person could walk past this point, stand there, and then 20 minutes later be all in this con space without having a badge. Uh, Things like that uh, bothered me. 
um, like management stuff bothered, but it was like little, it was, it was me being the nitpicky brain of I run right. events and I would do this differently if I were in charge kind of thing. Not a like someone's going to die sort of thing. So let's right. like, or, you know, but so that's why, like, that's why a lot of people were taken aback because the convention was growing and growing and growing. I don't even know what the uh, the attendance numbers were those last few years. And they I were mean, really good. I can tell you that much. The they convention were really was good. growing, and we were all really excited because the Kalahari itself was expanding. Yeah. Right? So, like, oh, the space is getting bigger. That means the con can get bigger and better. Yeah, it's right. Like that's that's what we're all thinking, and then suddenly, no, we're not going to have it anymore. It's like I've even heard some people oh. claim that the Kalahari expanded because of Daisho, which is patently no, no, that is no. patently of not course true. That's Don't believe anyone dumb. who tells you that is lying to you, and that's but, not a good thing to believe. But Daishokan was, and let's let's understand let's understand this. Daishokan had about six thousand attendees, and. At least that was the number that they were saying that they had when they went into 2019. I don't know what the 2019 numbers were, but in their promotional materials for 2019, they said they had over 6,000 attendees, which which makes sense because the last official reported um, numbers I can find are from like 2015, which put the number at about like 4,400 something. Mm-hmm. Um, so having, you know, being in the 6,000s in 2019, the last year it was held like six or 7,000 people is not shocking. Um, and it, it might have been more. I don't. But again, I don't have those figures. Um, right. And that may not sound like a huge convention to people like who live like on the East Coast or who live on the West Coast. But like you have to recognize that Daishokan is a convention held in the Wisconsin Dells, a town with a population of 5000. So there's no locals. People are yeah. traveling to this mm-hmm. thing. People travel for like, you know, hours to get to this convention. And um regional conventions in Wisconsin. This was like Daishokan is the second biggest was the second biggest anime con in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. With the the bigger one being Anime Milwaukee, which is in Milwaukee because you Frickin have locals. Milwaukee. You have yeah. locals, all the high schoolers who can't drive to a con. Um it go to Anime Milwaukee. It's like so so Daishokan was putting out huge numbers. Now for for contrast, I run No Brand Con. We have an attendance right now of about a thousand. All right. We used to have more when we were in Eau Claire. When we moved to the Dells, we lost all of our day trippers. But like it's, we've we we have we have we were a much smaller event. Um, but you know it's like events like this run on you know usually. And Daishokan started out this way. These fan run events are completely volunteer labor, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm the convention director and president of No Brain Con Incorporated, technically. Do you know how much salary I draw or how much I will get paid? Zero dollars. I will get zero dollars for working and doing this event in what is effectively a part-time job that I'm also working beyond my full-time day job and the part-time job of running a podcast network. If you want to know where my free time went, I have none. Um, So, like... And and because we came out of like I came out of the traditions of like science fiction conventions, which are often run like this. Like I understand that the comic mm-hmm. convention world is full of much more for profit ventures, but I came out of science fiction conventions, where it's 
it's all done out of passion, right? And this is the way a lot of gaming conventions are too. Like these are unpaid nonprofits where uh, we are doing it because we love it. And but frankly, and that's why, like with with COVID, it's been we're able to run our event in 2022. We we do, we are doing it at a reduced budget than what we do, and we've been having to make cuts to manage things because we've had ongoing operational costs that continued throughout the pandemic with no event to bring in money because that's the only source of income for no brand con right is effectively registrations technically like there's some add-ons but we only sell like the t-shirts for the con at the con so again zero there's zero income outside of registrations and we've had ongoing costs like our storage unit and you know which we share with a few other organ like we share a storage unit with other organizations um like world nine gaming which uh is not the vendor we use for for video game rooms, but we share a storage area, area unit with them. Uh, contractually, we also uh, uh, share stuff with Games Done Quick. Um, mm. Like it's, we have to pay our bills, and so we've had to keep paying those bills. But because we're a completely volunteer organization, we don't have salaries to pay. Right? Like, I right. none of our work, none of our people working are drawing a salary, so we're all already like looking at our income other places. So and that's that's what's allowed us to keep the lights on at No Brand Con, right? Like the only concern we really had was when we thought we might not have people to run it and we were able to fix that problem. So like we are, you know, making, you know, we're reducing some stuff that we would have spent money on um for the convention that would have been new expansions and things like that and we're not doing that. We're holding we're pulling some stuff back, but overall we can run an event as good as our normal events because while we did have ongoing expenses, we didn't have massive ones because, again, we're not getting paid. So and, I wanna, and you would think I, that a nonprofit-run event would think that, hey, this isn't the full-time job of the people running this. We shouldn't pay anyone, right? I'm go. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. When I founded, when I co-founded Dice Show, we were nonprofit. When we, when the former board members found out the current financials of Daisho and that they were drawing a profit, we weren't pleased about it because we never designed the event for someone to profit off of it. Well, I don't necessarily, I'm going to say that with the, with how big, when an event starts getting that big, I don't necessarily think it's unethical to have some sort of a stipend for some staff. I don't. However, that's the thing. I'm not, I am hard stop not saying it is a bad thing to pay a stipend to long-term staffers. That's not what I'm going to stand against. Right. Well, it's, and I want to be clear, there are nonprofits that pay their employees because when an event Mm -hmm. gets the size of like San Diego Comic-Con, is the prime example of these. It's a full-time mm-hmm. job, but it's a nonprofit. They pay their staff, and honestly, like when it comes down to it, like like if an event, if an event is financially stable enough, like here's the thing: people talk about nonprofit, for-profit, nonprofit. Like it's okay for a nonprofit to have a war chest of funds, though, because you mm-hmm. always have to be ready for the bad times. Like, the whole reason why No Brand Con survived the drop in 500 attendees when we moved from Eau Claire to the Wisconsin Dells was because we used to have a war chest. We are now operating, like, and we're able to keep operating where we are because we kept our costs down 
And with yeah. that loss of income, we now run pretty close to the wire. I will fully admit, like we we operate pretty close to the wire compared to what we used to, because again, we we dropped a third in size. But when, right. but the reason why we survived that was because we, when we did have like uh, a war chest of additional money, and like my my thought was is that you shouldn't start paying people out until you have enough money put away for the event where in case everything fails you can afford to run a second event well that's funny you'd phrase it that way i think that's quite quite good that's because uh daishokan's financials uh as a non-profit became public yeah which they they should be that's how nonprofits operate well, yeah they're large it's and i will fully admit that no Con, we do not currently disclose our financials because we don't have enough money where we're legally required to we're also a right. one we're a c7 not a c3 or c4 so we operate, right. yeah. Well, for I'm just for an event of of Daisho's size, it's 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 good that that's out. Right. But the issue comes in is that for the 2019 event, the uh, the board that is five people who were in charge of DaishoCon, including still Missy, the same Missy who told me I had been involved with the con for too long in 2014. Just want to let that sink in. Um, the um, Missy and and DJ, the same live-in boyfriend, uh, were both on this board and drew ten thousand dollars each, along with three other members. The next year for twenty twenty, despite having no event and thus having no income, they still did a pretty decent profit, albeit less than um albeit less than the year before but let's yeah i think um, technically their 2020 payout was through technically from the 2019 event yeah operation yeah budget. so but here's the thing yeah it's i don't have the exact figures in front of me but i think like in total between the two years they paid out like seventy thousand dollars uh, it was more than eighty thousand dollars. Okay, I did the math earlier. It was more than eighty thousand dollars. You can. We ran Nerd and Tie Expo for under twenty. It, yeah, <laughs> we, like, we ran a whole convention for under twenty. You can run a, yeah, you can run a pretty decent convention for that kind of money. Yeah, so they're just giving themselves. That's. I'm sorry that it took us so long to get to this point, but yeah, um, Missy. Under Missy's management, and oh, I, I did forget to mention the other, uh, another fun part that was in there. A couple years after that, Missy quit, did a big, um, actually stopped the cosplay contest dead cold to do a going away slideshow for herself. I was there for that. Ugh. And then the big very, old pity party for herself. And then the very like next year came right back on staff and in charge of the entire event again. It was, it was so weird. It was astounding. It, like the lack of self awareness is is still astounding to me. Yeah. yeah. First yeah, off, just like whole, doesn't everybody like, know I that thank the thank everybody? Doesn't and ever, then... everybody know the place for pity parties is closing ceremonies, so no one has to sit through it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Leave? She held. It was while they were. It, correct me if I'm wrong, Gan. It was while they they were waiting for the results of the cosplay yep. contest. 
Yep. Yeah. So everyone, like and, captive audience, and, threw this pity party about how sad she I was. Remember, to go. I remember sitting there with my friends, and we're just like, we don't care. We don't know who you are. We don't know who you are thanking and why you are crying. I ironically like move on. Ironically for that, it was under especially under Aussie DJ and Missy. Um, like I said, Aussie had that weird hard on for legalese that he didn't actually understand. They wanted to turn the con more corporate, or so to speak. So anything that was like a human face to the con, they didn't like that kind of thing. Basically, anyone who represented the con who individually had a rapport with outside people would eventually get sacked one way or the other. They they really worked hard to turn Daishokan faceless. So it was even weirder that she stopped this event cold to talk about how sad it was she was leaving. And then she didn't leave. Yeah, then she didn't that's, leave. She came that's right the back. Thing that really gets me. She throws this pity party about leaving and then doesn't leave. Why? Why even bother? By the way, I, I think it's also worth noting one of the bizarre hate mail letters that I got from Missy was how angry she was that I uh, hosted the cosplay contest every year um, and how angry she was that I. I personally never gave anyone else a chance and how it was too much about my ego. Pretty, what? uh, yep. Pretty. Wow. Really dumb. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. This is, again, this is all shit. I've just not been sharing because despite everything that was done, despite the fact that I was regularly verbally and emotionally abused by the same people who um, took these large paychecks. I still cared about the event. And there were people who that event meant a lot to. There were vendors I know who made good money from that event. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to kill it. I didn't want to risk killing it for them because of what happened to me. And maybe that's bad self-preservation on my end. That might be the case. I'm, I can't wait for this episode to come out and get comments about what a dumb fuck I am, but. <laughs> but it just, I still wanted to believe in, and, and 2019, you could tell I, I was hearing more and more from former staffers, including people who worked to get me kicked out about how they got kicked out. They got sacked after I left yeah. because the funny thing is when you set a standard that it's that easy to just public opinion kangaroo court people out of the con, they started mm -hmm. doing that all the time. And you could kind of see it in 2019. The attendance was at an all time high but I couldn't find staff half the time. Yeah. And a good chunk of the staff were, were either inexperienced or young or clearly had no people skills and were kind of rude. Um, and I don't know when it happened. I'd need to get more details on it, but they stopped being a student organization with UW Stevens Point after I left 
So they didn't have the campus to draw staff from anymore. So I have, it was clear that they were hemorrhaging staff and we know from their financials, it sure looks like they were hemorrhaging money. Yeah. And it hurts. Like, I know I've done all this whining and complaining and probably, I don't know, the few listeners we still have are probably going to just tell me what a dumb shit I am, but they're not, but like that's blood, sweat and tears that this was my life from roughly to late 2007 through 2014. I put so much work into this event and to be unceremoniously kicked out and then to watch it slide so far and to hem and to see people leaving staff not feeling good about their experience but bitter about having to work with Missy that hurt yeah and seeing that a con with as much money as there's no way I'm sorry I refuse to believe it there's no way Daisho Khan wouldn't have had the money to keep running an event Evercon is still happening yeah. no brand con is still happening it's ridiculous that freaking Daisho Khan is claiming they had no options they had options they just burned every bridge yeah That's, I don't know, man, just. No, it's, it's, it's very bittersweet. And I mean, bitter in the way that it ended and the way it was run and all the behind the scenes shenanigans, but sweet. I mean, cause Daisho was the convention where you didn't really go like in the later years, especially when it went to the Kalahari. Like so often, you know, I would go to the to the con, not really for the convention itself, but because all of my friends were there. Like I knew all of my other friends were going to be there and I could go see them. So it's 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 bittersweet that I won't have that aspect to it. And I do have like good memories from those conventions of just like being with my friends. Oh, God, it was the I like that's that's probably the thing that hurts most is that there are so many good memories. Hell, I that was the first con where I started like showing my gender fluidity. I mean, I I, I met my significant other at Daisho Con. Wow, that's the last year it was in Stevens Point. God, the Stevens the same, Point years were so great. It's like uh, it's Andrew from our uh, from. Uh, from the staff who I mentioned before, um, um, his, his now wife was someone who he worked with a lot on Daishokan staff. And I'm just so happy that like they, they really bonded because of their work together on that. That was special. I'm glad I got to like, just be there for that, I guess. Yeah, it's, Daishokan was an important part of our con scene, and like we wouldn't be talking about this if it was just like some random like con that, yeah, like we. Mm-hmm. 
This was a big deal. Yeah. And losing it's mm. a big deal. Yeah. It sucks. It's gross. It hurts so freaking much. And it was mismanaged into the ground. Mm-hmm. I'm relieved. I'm relieved that it's not my stressor anymore. I'm relieved I don't have to figure out like room situations because that became a nightmare the last two years. I but yeah, stayed at the Ramada. That's probably a good call. Well, it was less time to drive to the Ramada than it was to f- walk from the hotel spaces. No, legit. I like. Of course, I stayed at the Ramada. I appreciate that. I cosplay like a thought, and it is very cold outside. <laughs> Minivan. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, if if I could say um, something kind of just adjacent to the whole situation, um, for a while now, we had been talking about, and for a while, for a few years there, we had been talking about the con bubble. Yeah. And I when... think it's bursting. Yeah. Well. <sighs> yeah. The, I It was ironic because, you know, they... Aussie and DC both used to say to me that they really wanted Daishokan to last another 10 years. And, well, yep, that was the limit. Jeez. Well, you know, I... it's so hard. Like, yeah, I mean, these past year, two years have been absolutely the hardest to run an event like these. Um, yeah, completely agreed. And it's like. It's 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 no surprise that well, like know, I was not shocked falling by the wayside. I was not shocked when they canceled for twenty twenty one just because I'm like, I have been to Daisho Khan. I know what those hallways are like. It is literally exactly. impossible to run a safe event in that space the way that that yes. event is run. Yeah, it. I I I still think the. Um, I know a lot of people wouldn't agree, uh, didn't agree with me on this one, but I still think they made the more ethical choice to cancel than, like, per se, um, Colossal Con did this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Colossal but, Con can go, I have negative things to say about Colossal Con. <laughs> but, like, them, but I'm, it doesn't change that from the outside, it sure looks like, it sure looks like, well, the ship was damaged, they just, bolted yeah and i that hurts to see because it wasn't supposed to be like this well and it's the loss of a major convention from the state uh, uh, not and again a non-profit like it's i like i'm very critical of the board uh paying themselves out um but i do think that um even like if they had been fine you know what the problem is this they weren't financially successful enough to do that payout you know what i mean not That's, to that extent not to that level for right. sure. They just weren't there yet. And and that's like maybe a, maybe quite a smaller amount. Yeah. And they, they if they wanted to, if they really wanted to, but like those numbers are just they're flabbergasting. Like I would I had a sneaking suspicion that Daisho Khan's entire business model 
was built on aggressive expansion without any thought of if it's a manageable number. And the yeah. fact that it completely imploded when they literally could not expand yeah. makes me feel vindicated in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like my my goal, like with like when you're planning an event like that, like what you really have to do is say like it, what what is our what is our minimum number of attendees to survive, and then take exp- like growth and expansion like that as bonuses, like. And then you build a war chest. And then when you have that war chest, that's when you consider expanding into more stuff. Like, and we we did that as an event and we uh, made some mistakes, but because we waited till we had enough of a war chest, like, we were fine. <laughs> like, you can't, it's, you have to be ready for the hard times. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the big tip we have for everyone out there. Savings are a good thing. Yeah, savings are a real good thing. You want money in savings so that when things get tough, when things unexpectedly happen, it's there for you and you don't have to scramble or go under or anything even more terrible. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a very long episode. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I I did not mean to. I'm just, hey, no, no. All of that context was like needed that's, though. That's, that's the worst part. That, why are you apologizing? This is a thing that needed to be talked about. Like this, this needed to be talked about, and it was very important that we talk about it. Well, thank so. you for letting me get that out, mate. Yeah. Maybe I'll have some more things to say later, but for right now. Well, I think this would be like a really great topic to like we we should do more stuff about the downfall of certain conventions because it's become clear that like cuz there are other events we know a lot about what happened that uh um maybe the the world should be told. <laughs> mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. uh we'll save that for an episode where we haven't gone over an hour and 40 minutes. Sounds uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh so uh vomit hat Steve challenge, I guess. Um so the vomit hat Steve challenge is the part of the episode where I read part of a book and uh the challenge to you, the listener, is to guess what book I'm reading from. The Bene what happens is, if you guess it right, is you get included in the Hall of Awesome. The benefits of the Hall of Awesome are as follows. One, I read your name aloud every episode on the podcast. Two, I put your name on a web page that we've now used to feature prominently, but now have buried on the website. But you can find it <laughs> if you look. Um, and three, uh, I admit to you that I think that uh, you do look better in that jacket than I do. You hear me, Archimise? You hear me? All right. So the members of the Hall of Awesome currently are as follows. Archimise, Zero, Rena Innocenti, Cheesy McDamu, Krista, Slytherin, Shameless Otaku, The Random Ramblings Band, Corfan, Capito, Chris Graham, Lillisaurus, Paper Godzilla, Cavs, The Minnesota Librarian, Sean Orange, Keith Shizuo, Sakura Sunset, Joel Kreisman, Patrick Delahanty, Wonderland Hearts, and Megzi Sass Council. And I will continue to read from this book until someone freaking guesses it. Here is your line. 
How did he find you, Mr. Brick? If you know what books that's from, go to nerdandtech.com slash contact, fill out the little form, and tell us, and please tell us, and uh, so I can change books. And, uh, yeah, go there, do it. Or if you have, like, something else you want to say, like, we, we often will do a mailbag section on these episodes, and so if you have, like, your opinions on, like, say, Daishokan, what the event meant to you, uh, your thoughts on its sudden demise, uh, go to nerdandtech.com uh, slash contact and tell us. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us your hopes. Tell us your dreams. Tell us exactly um, what we got wrong. I don't know anything. Um, or if there is a convention collapse that uh, you know about that you want us to talk about, uh, feel free to reach out to us there, too. Anyways, uh, with that in mind, uh, it's time to start wrapping down this very long episode of the podcast. Um, remember, you can always subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, I'm sorry, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, any place that takes an RSS feed. And uh, remember, if you're on a platform you can rate like Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. It helps us a lot. If you want to follow the show on social media, uh, you can follow us at Nerd and Tie on Twitter uh, and Facebook.com slash Nerd and Tie. Uh, and uh, that's a great place. If you want to support the show financially, you can either sponsor an episode by clicking on the sponsor button on NerdandTie.com or you can uh, support me Financially, I've got a Patreon at patreon.com slash T-R-E-G-O-R-N. Nick's got a Patreon at patreon.com slash Nick Izumi. Gen sells stuff as Ocelot Dude Designs, including these amazing succulent pillows. Uh, do you have anything you want to say about your stuff, again? Uh, it's plush and cozy. Yeah. They're Ooh. neat. Um, anyways... Uh, <laughs> Remember, we're part of the Nerd and Tie <laughs> Podcast Network, and you can always chat with us every day, all day, at uh, our Discord, which you can find invite at nerdandtie.com slash Discord. And you can listen to great shows. Uh, we're currently prepping Campaign 2 of Stormwood and Associates, which is going to come out next year. So that's going to be amazing. But you can listen to all of Campaign 1 right now at nerdandtie.com slash Stormwood. Uh, and it's like 135 episodes, and it's amazing, and it's finished. It's done stick a fork in it complete character arcs it's amazing um i love it it's really good also now, watch my fave video i'm really proud yeah of it. yeah nick put out That's... a really cool really good uh, video on uh Faye valentine and you can find that on uh, the nikazumi show on uh on the nerd type site or at the nikazumi youtube channel um mm. i'm i'm trey dorn i'm nikazumi i'm gen proc and uh, this has been the show. I don't, I don't know why it's been the show, but this has been the show. Nick, say your catchphrase. Keep on sparking in the free world. And and we did that. And and somehow deep down in our hearts, in our soul, you knew that this was going to be a long episode because well, Just your your podcast player told you like it's right there. The time code. <laughs> It's right it's there. Ended already. You, I'm so you, cold. You knew it the whole time. I want to turn my heater Embrace on. Embrace the cosmos of your heart. Yeah.